Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. In my own home, I have to tell you the truth, we have only recently joined everyone else. Because what happened is, is that Christmas trees, they can be a little bit of a pain to find uh, where to place in your garage if you don't have a lot of room. So earlier this year, I had an absolutely brilliant idea. We had bought a rooftop box for camping. Okay, and so we, I, I grabbed our Christmas tree and all of our decorations and put everything in our rooftop box. And, and because you've got to store the box anyway, right? That makes sense. So we, I got the box and I locked it and I put it in the corner of our garage and then I lost the key. So Christmas was contained in a rooftop box and all of the Christmas decorations. And I went down to saw a locksmith earlier this week and we got a new key cup for it and we opened it. And so as of Thursday, we were happy to join you uh, and, and everyone else on the planet. And we started to put up all of our Christmas decorations. I remember always growing up as a kid, Christmas was fun. It was a lot of fun to decorate the tree. Uh, Mum and dad would just let uh, us, you know, my, myself and my brothers just decorate it and, and go crazy. And, you know, there were no rules. So we could just put anything on that tree. And it kind of looked like a unicorn threw up on it. But at the same time, it was so much fun. So Thursday night, I was ready to have all of this fun. And we got out the Christmas tree and the decorations and the kids were ready. But I don't know, if maybe some of you will identify with this. Um, if you are married to a person that has a high degree of authority and control over what can go onto that tree, it has a theme. There are certain colors you can use. There are certain colors you cannot use. There are baubles you can use, baubles you cannot use. And the kids really became just a, a link in the chain as they were to pass the decorations to my wife who would carefully, delicately place every bauble where it was supposed to go. In fact, so concerned was she that they might mess it up that the kids now have their own tree. And so we have two trees in our house. So my wife will decorate one tree and uh, our kids are allowed to decorate the other tree. Is anybody married to someone like that? Okay, some of you, okay, I'm starting a support group. So for anybody that wants to be part of that, you can talk to me right after the service. So anyway, it is, it is Christmas, it is busy, it is fun to do some of these things. It is certainly getting difficult to do some of the simple things. So like even, as you know, going to the shops is just insane. And so every time we have to go to the shop, to be honest, our family, me personally and, and, and Sarah, we feel like doomsday preppers. So, so for us, we are preparing for maybe the next 20 to 30 days and say, what do we need? Tell, let, let's get everything that we need and, and, and let's buy it all up and buy everything. We'll just find places to store it because anything to avoid the insane uh, car park and the, and, and the traffic and, and the busyness and everything that comes along with that. And if we run out of food, I'm just embracing a season of fasting. So, you know, and encouraging my kids to embrace that same season because who needs to eat anyway? So anything to avoid all the, the stuff that makes it inconvenient, because I don't know if you've noticed, but Christmas is a little inconvenient. 
You know, sometimes, you know, with different responsibilities and everything that you have to do, it just feels a little inconvenient. I want to preach a message to you guys this morning called an inconvenient Christmas. An inconvenient Christmas. Have you ever noticed that God's plans are sometimes inconvenient? Have you noticed that? That sometimes His plans are inconvenient? And you would think that because he was involved, that it would be easier. Like, for example, for those of you that would know, God is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he is everywhere. God exists outside of time. He can see the end before the beginning even starts. And you would think that for a God with that much unlimited power and ability and capacity that when he got involved in some plan in your life or when he rolls out any plan that it would go very smoothly at least it should go smoothly to be honest you know how it feels like often and i'm not saying that god feels like this don't nobody send me an email about this okay but but this is what i think when god begins to out roll out things in my life it feels like he's been cramming for a test And he's forgotten all of the details. And at the last minute, he starts to make me aware of very pressing and urgent things. And I sort of think, if you knew about this from the beginning, why don't you just tell me about it at the start? We could have prepared for this so much better than what we did prepare for it. But that's what it feels like when God begins to interrupt the narrative of your life. When it comes to the story of Christmas, did you know that the scriptures say, that the Lamb of God, which is Jesus, was slain before the foundation of the world, that tells me that he knew Christmas was coming well in advance. You with me? So he already knew about it. In fact, if you open the Bible and you read about it, in Genesis chapter 2, it says that one day that he's going to send Jesus in a roundabout way. It says that. And so we knew that he knew that it was coming. And yet, despite the fact that he knew and he had all the time to prepare in the world and all the planning ability at his fingertips, when you look at the story, it seems like he was cramming for a test. It seems, it feels just a little bit like it was just a bit unprepared. And if you think it feels like that, reading it, imagine if you were Joseph and Mary, this beautiful couple. All they wanted to do was get married. They probably saw their whole life before them. They saw their futures. They talked about how many kids they were going to have. They had booked a photographer. They had booked the wedding venue. The invites were expensive, printed, and sent out. How much for stamps? My gosh, you know? And so everything was planned and it was prepared. And then God comes and he begins to interrupt the previously scheduled events in their life. Have you noticed that God does that sometimes? In fact, I've noticed that God doesn't seem to be worried about our schedule He really wasn't worried about Joseph and Mary's schedule. In fact, I find that God is often happy to interrupt it. In my own life, I can tell you, like over 10 years ago, I remember driving home from a friend's house. And as I was driving home that day, I had plans for the day, mostly just to sleep though. And he interrupted the narrative of my life to bring me to a church I didn't know existed, to sit me, sit me on that fateful morning. 
next to family I didn't even know were attending church and he interrupted my schedule with a plan of his own. God is very good at interrupting the schedule of your life. He's very good at interrupting the things that you want to do. Again, imagine being Joseph. Just going through the season, the thing that he was having to face when he saw his life planned out before him. And then to have all of that shifted and changed in a moment. In fact, I want to read to you this story. The story comes out of Matthew chapter 1. If most of you have been in church, you would already know this. But if you are not used to being in church, you will find the book of Matthew after a blank page in your Bible. It's divided into two sections. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. The word testament, it simply means this. It means the word covenant, which is an agreement made between God and people. And if you look at your Bible in the back half of the section, it's actually really the two thirds. If you look at that, there is the old agreement that was in place between God and people. And then he starts something fresh. He starts something new. And it centers around this person that we call Jesus. And so when you open the Bible to the New Testament, there is a book there called Matthew. He wrote it. I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now that is weird. That is unusual. See, if you've been in church for a long time, you probably already know the story. And so you look at the story and you say, oh yeah, that's right, we, we already know about this. But if you're in church for the first time, the fact that a woman that is a virgin would be found with a child, this is unusual. And the way in which it happens was a huge interruption potentially, possibly an inconvenience to Mary's wedding plans. And you can read about this in Luke chapter one. In fact, the angel Gabriel, he shows up and he appears before Mary and here she is hanging out the washing, whatever she's doing. And she sees this angel called Gabriel and he shows up and when they look at each other, he says to her, greetings, O highly favored one. And she's looking at him and she was probably petrified because when angels show up, it's either very good or it is very bad. And it says she was trying to discern what type of greeting this would be. He started well, he said favored. So she's thinking this is gonna go well. And she's like, okay, so what are you doing here? And he says, well, you have been chosen. Chosen for what? You have been chosen to give birth to the Messiah. And can you imagine hearing that for the first time? Imagine Mary hearing that for the very first time. I wonder if what went through her head was like, well, Gabriel, it sounds great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I appreciate you showing up today. You, you came all of this way to tell me this, right? But you should know I've made plans. <laughs> I'm getting married. And if what you say was to happen, this would totally in, inconvenience me. This would totally interrupt my plans. If you were to do this, I mean, Gabriel, it just, it seems to me like maybe you haven't thought this all the way through. 
I mean, are you sure that God told you? Are you sure that he told you that I was to have a baby? It doesn't sound like something that God would do. It doesn't seem like something that God would say. Are you sure you're not interpreting what God said for yourself and just adding a little extra spin on it? And he's like, no, 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 I'm pretty sure. She didn't say that at all. But I wonder what was going through her mind when she started to realize what would happen if this began to eventuate. More than that, she had questions about how it would happen. She said, how is it going to happen? And in a, in a roundabout way, without going into all of the details, the angel Gabriel says, well, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And contained in that word overshadow is all the complexities of putting the child called Jesus, that would later be called Jesus, God inside the womb of a woman, a virgin woman named Mary. And she just said, okay. And so we join the story. Here she is. Joseph has found her. She's to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, if you were betrothed, it's not like an engagement. It's far more significant than that. If you were betrothed, the only way to get out of being betrothed was to go through a divorce. Joseph is a good guy. He doesn't want to shame her publicly, so he's going to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is highly unusual, especially even for the day. See, if you open your Bible and have a look in it, there's a couple of blank pages. Those blank pages represent about 400 years between when God spoke to them last and when he spoke to them again. It was a long time between drinks. It was a long time between when God spoke to his people and he would do it again. And so now God shows up in a dream, talking to a man named Joseph. He's not even a priest. And yet, God decides that his first, the first occasion that he's going to speak in nearly 400 years to his people would be a dream to a man named Joseph. Can you imagine this scenario? This would take an act of God to believe. Because if a, if a woman showed up and she said, okay, I'm pregnant, but you should know that this is God's baby, what would you think? You would probably think what Joseph thought. It would take something like this to convince you. It says in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It was very important that she was a virgin and that God was her, uh, the father of this child because that would mean that he didn't inherit sin the same way that the rest of humanity did. And so he could ultimately be the sacrifice that people need and represent the human race in a way that no human would be able to do that. I'm going to tell you about that later. It says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not, which means they did not have sex until uh, she had given birth to a son and he called his name 
Jesus. To me, as I read that story, there are so many inconveniences in there for Mary and Joseph. I, I figure that Joseph, he needed God to show up in a way like that. Can you imagine walking with your betrothed down the street, looking at all of the people, everyone knowing that you're not married, but your betrothed is starting to show signs of pregnancy? And when people say, how did that happen? You say, it's not us, it was the Lord. That sounds unbelievable. I'm sure Joseph had better things to do than to endure the judgment that would come with taking responsibility to be the father of this child called Jesus. I'm sure he had better things to do than to uh, go out and call back all the invites and cancel the photographer and all the rest of it. I'm sure he had better things to do. What did he do in the end? He heard God speak and he allowed God to begin to interrupt his schedule. There are times when what God wants to do with you will be inconvenient. Please know that. There are times when what he wants to do in your life will be inconvenient. And I've learned that God is less interested in our convenience and more interested in our commitment. Christmas, as you know, is busy. And when you're busy, how do you know what to do next? I mean, let's face it. When it's Christmas, you've got parties to go to and plenty of them. You've got work parties. If you've got two jobs, you've got two work parties. If you serve at church, you've got a third work party in there somewhere, you know? There are festivals, there are carols, there are responsibilities. You have family coming over. I mean, there is a lot going on around Christmas. So when you are really busy, how do you decide what to do next? Well, the way that you decide what to do is you begin with what you value most. It's a great way for you to begin to clear out the busyness of your calendar and your schedule. You simply begin with your values. And see, once you know what you value, your value should go to the top of your list and what you value the least should go to the bottom. But life doesn't always work out that way. In fact, I've learned that as just simply as people that we can easily schedule in our calendars things that are less important to us and we can put them ahead of the things that we should value most. Earlier this week, I was in a coffee shop and I bet you don't believe that. And I um, was in a conversation with the manager of this coffee shop and she came over to say hello to me. I said, hey, how's everything going? And she said, oh, look, you know, I've just been really, really busy and things are really very hectic for me. I said, oh, okay. I said, yeah, look, I see you every day. I, I, you know, when you're in here, I, I, I always see you here. I said, help me out here because you're the manager of this, right? She said, yes, I'm the manager. I said, and you're working all the time and then you've got to go home and do stuff. She said, yes, this is, this is how busy my, my schedule is. I said, can I ask you a question? Do you ever see yourself in a position where you might step back out of the responsibilities you have on the floor, serving everyone and waiting on tables and moving into more of a management role where you could spend your time during your day working on the business instead of working in the business so you had the freedom to have a life outside of the job that you've got? She said, oh my goodness, it's like you're reading my mail. I can't believe that you're saying this. I've been thinking a lot about this. I said, okay, let me ask you, question. I said, what 
is your greatest fear in you stepping back from being in charge of this business? What's your greatest fear about not being here on the floor? I already knew her greatest fear. She said, it's because I want to make sure that we deliver the same standard and the same quality of coffee and business and the way that we serve tables. I want to make sure that we deliver that. And I'm afraid that if I'm not here, it won't get done. I said, wow. I said, well, it seems to me that what you actually need is to approach this in a completely different way. For example, if you created the right systems and process that you were able to consistently deliver the same standard and quality, would that then enable you to step back? I mean, if you had the right systems in place, maybe you wouldn't need to stress it about it as much. And she said, yes, I've thought about that. I said, have you ever considered employing anyone to be the manager in your business so that would free you up to do other things? She said, you won't believe it. I've actually already hired the guy, except when he's here, I just keep showing up. I said, wow. I said, well, it appears to me that what you're doing is delegating tasks and not authority because you're just telling this person what to do, but you're not giving them any opportunity to go out and to run it the way that they think it should run. I said, here's a good rule. If somebody can do a job 80% as good as you, then why don't you just let them do it? And if you can live with a 20% margin of error, you will afford yourself all the time that you need to start to have some peace in your life, and that's gotta be worth something to you. She said, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're having this conversation. It's almost like you're sent from God. I'm like, well, who knows, you know? And so, and so we're having this conversation about what she can do. And I said to her, this is why I'm saying all this stuff to you. It's really, this is really important. I can see right now that if you don't put some of these things in place, within about six months, you are going to burn out. She goes, I already know it. I feel like I'm ready to burn out now. I've already considered selling the business. I said, well, if you could develop a new way of approaching this, maybe you wouldn't need to quit. You could have the business that you love and the life that you're actually looking for. She said, that's what I want. And I said, this is what it comes down to. I said, you need to begin with what you value most in life. And you need to put your values at the top and fit everything in it else around it. Because when you get home and listen into this, everybody, when you get home, you want to give your family the best version of you and not the tired, worn out, always can't speak because you just need to vegetate watching Netflix because you're exhausted and you can't think beyond that point. You need to give your family the best version of you, okay? When I said that, she had tears in her eyes. And she started trying to form a sentence and then she burst into tears and she walked off. And, and I knew that she would come back, so we just hung around. About 10 minutes later, she come back, she told me the story. She says, you don't understand. She said, I was speaking with one of my kids earlier this week, and they said to me, when are you going to care about me as much as you care about your job? Wow. Wow. So you need to start with your values. That is a classic story about how people put things that are less important above the things that are more important, which is why you begin with your values first. You know what John Maxwell says? He says, if you're trying to figure out what to do next, you should look at the importance of a task and times it by the urgency. It's not just what's important, it's what's urgent. And if you put important and you times it by the urgency, you might begin to figure out what you need to do next. In the Old Testament, God gave them what was both important and urgent. 
He gave them the Ten Commandments. These were kingdom values. Here's how to interact with me, highly value it. Here's how to interact with people, highly value it. This is the way that you're supposed to do life. In the New Testament, Jesus said this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you're worried about and all the things that you're concerned about, these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. So what are you supposed to do? You are supposed to put kingdom priorities ahead of the stuff that clutters up your schedule, the stuff that is making you busy. But when you really start to think about it, it is far less important than you first thought. I wonder what it would be like for Christian people everywhere to wake up with this idea God, you can interrupt the previously scheduled program for today. If you want to speak into my life right now, I will let you do it. Today, as I look at my calendar, I see a number of things that are very pressing and busy and what I think is urgent. But should you have a more pressing and urgent matter that needs to be dealt with. I just wanted you to know, God, that I would be here to follow what it is that you think is most pressing, what you value most. Seek first the kingdom of God. Imagine if there was people, Christian people everywhere, that decided that what would be their first priority would be that kingdom priority, what was most urgent. Sam Chan says this. He says, leaders can only rise to the level of their pain. Because what you come across is a threshold. And it applies in all things. If you want to grow and develop and learn, and you'll only ever rise to a point that you have decided the cost is too high to go any further. If you want to work hard in the gym, but you don't want to put in the energy of the effort, you'll only go so far. You won't be able to go any further unless you press past that point that you think is extremely difficult. When it comes to leadership, maybe it's the point of pain that's too far. You know, whatever it is, there's a level that is too high, a price that's too inconvenient to pay. And I've discovered this is that when God goes to his people, if we have a level that's too inconvenient that we won't go past, we will limit the window with which God wants to move in our life. And so many people, so many of us who say, God, I just want you to move in my life. And he says, really? And we say, yes. He says, I'm ready to move. You say, well, this is not the right time. It's very inconvenient now. See, if I say yes to you, I say no to something else and I'm not sure what to do, which is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. If you read the Bible in, in the book of Romans, Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All these things that God wants to interrupt your life with is meant to work not in isolation, but together. And when he has a group of people that are willing to do each little thing that God has spoken to them about, a larger scale plan begins to unfold. A far more significant one than the little part that we begin to play in the process. See, his plan, it's better than your plan. 
I don't know what you had on, whenever you had it on, whatever it was. I don't know what you had scheduled, but I can tell you this, that what he had and what he has for you is better than what you've previously scheduled into your calendar. And sometimes we just, we just want too much details about the plan. Come on, God. Really? Like a baby? Like a God baby. For real? This is your best stuff. This is what you have planned. Your best plan is to put God into a woman and she, they'd be birthed. Come on, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, I, look, call me crazy. I'm not sure it's going to work, God. I'm not sure if it's going to work. I, I don't even understand how this would begin to work. See, the, the mistake that you can make is thinking that you need to understand how everything works. But see, when the little thing that you do connects into the other thing that someone does, there is a larger framework of a plan that's beginning to unfold. You're just supposed to do the thing that you're supposed to do. So here's what you need to do. Just be obedient. The next time God asks you what you're, you know, to do something for Him, just be obedient because what God's asking of you is often bigger than you. So we just say yes. And we often find out the larger framework and the bigger picture later. And sometimes we don't even get to figure it out. But if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, have you considered the flow-on effect and the impact of what that could mean? Or what about the lack of impact that you could have because you didn't necessarily do the thing that you were supposed to do? See, what you need to understand is, is that God will routinely interrupt your life. He did that with Mary and Joseph. This beautiful couple that just wanted to get married and have a beautiful ceremony. Is this too much to ask for? This is all they wanted. They'd booked everything. They'd planned everything. They'd organized everything. And yet God showed up and began to disrupt the peace that was in their life, but for a reason that was better than what they had imagined and hoped for. I, I, I don't know if they had fully understood at that point the entire picture of what God was going to do and the full redemption of people that would come through that child. But all they needed to do in that moment was just say yes. See, if you're going to respond right, you need to predetermine your response. That means that right now you begin to work out what you value most so that when you're caught in a jam, you know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is both inconvenient and right in your life right now? Just because it's inconvenient doesn't mean it's wrong. How do you think the kingdom of God advances? It's not via convenience. I assure you of that. So what in your life right now is both, yes, inconvenient, but also right to be doing? Maybe the inconvenient thing for you right now is that you have family coming to stay with you at Christmas, and because of that, you'll be in a sleeping bag in your child's room 
and uh, sleeping on an inflatable mattress to welcome people, strangers into your home that you do call family, and they will come in and take over your personal space, and it's inconvenient, but it's still right. Maybe what's inconvenient for you is the fact that God has been pressing you about how you volunteer at church or is saying to you, hey, I want you to get engaged and I want you to get involved. You know, and, and maybe you begin to look at what that's going to mean if you say yes to him and the cost that it comes at. I mean, you know, goodness knows, you might have to come to church early one day, you know. There could be a, a, a price to pay for that. Maybe you have had a season and experience in ministry where you, you've developed this idea. Maybe you're sort of more mature in age and you've said, been there, done that. I've, I, I, you know, now it's time for someone else, but you couldn't deny the fact that God is pressing your heart to do something more. Maybe God is actually getting you to think about how you spend the majority of your time. He's saying, hey, I want you to quit your job and come follow after me. And if he did say that, it wouldn't be the first time. In fact, if you read the Bible, he does that to people all the time. He said it to Matthew. I mean, the very book that we're reading, Matthew, is written by a guy that had a job that quit to follow Jesus, a well-paying job. And he decided that the inconvenience was worth paying to see what God wanted to do in the next season of his life. I remember working in a job that I absolutely hated. Didn't enjoy any part of it. I said, God, I said, I want to do this. Let me out of it, right? Just let me quit. And I felt like God continued to press in and say, no, it's not the right time. I don't want you to quit. I said, let me out. You know, I was praying. I'm interceding. I'm like, God, I don't want to do this. Stay with the job. And I stayed with it until the very moment that he said, okay, now you can begin to step back. You can quit. See, for me at that point in my life, it would have been easier to go, but it was right to stay I wonder where in your life right now it would be easier to go, but it's right to stay. I wonder how many people feel like that in their marriage, you know, like it gets difficult and not everything's easy all of the time and it's not everything that you pictured, it's not everything that you imagined. And yeah, it would be easier to go, but in your heart, you know it's right to stay. That's why I'm saying to you, God is more interested in our commitment than our convenience. And when God begins to speak to us and say, hey, I've got something that I want to do in your life and there's something I want to do in your future, and you begin to think about how inconvenient it would be for you to follow up on that plan of his, I want you to remember Christmas. Because Christmas would have to be one of the most inconvenient things for God to do ever. That the pre-existent God... Jesus, who we refer to as the second person of the Trinity of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that he would leave heaven and come to planet Earth to be birthed by a virgin. That's pretty inconvenient. And not only that, to be live his life as a human and to not access all of his divine authority and power, even though it existed. I mean, can you imagine? There must have been so many times that he must have thought it would be easier to throw in the towel. This is what the gospel is all about. The length to which God would go for his people. 
See, if you know anything about the gospel story, Christmas celebrates the beginning of that story. See, whether you understand it or not, we have a huge problem as people. That problem is called sin. And the only way to deal with it would be for God to come and fix that problem for us because the old agreement that we had in place, that Old Testament, was a continual reminder that we just couldn't do it. And so, God sent His one and His only Son, Jesus, that would be born by the Virgin Mary to live a life, a perfect life, the life that we could never live. He had to live a perfect life so that He could be the ultimate sacrifice for us. See, the Scriptures say that the penalty of sin is death. That's the price that we need to pay, except that but God, except that He sent Jesus to live the life that we could never live, only to die the death that we should have died so that we could live eternally with Him. And I'm pretty sure that there were parts of that story that were totally inconvenient for him. You know what I think Jesus did? I think he looked at the importance and he times it by the urgency. He said, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm coming for these people. I'm coming for them now, knowing that it was going to be inconvenient, knowing of the price that would be paid. He still decided that he would come anyway. There was a time right before Jesus' death where he's found in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know that he had conflicting ideas about what would be what he wanted to do in that garden because there was a point where he said, God, is there any other way to accomplish this task? If there is any other way to let this cup pass from me, if there is any way that we can do this, apart from me going to that death on the cross, I would be really interested in that right about now. But what does he say? He says, but not my will, but your will be done. You see, I think he lived out what he said. When he said, seek first the kingdom of God, he wasn't about self-preservation. He was happy to be inconvenienced. He was happy to go to a cross to pay a penalty for the sins of the world, even though it wasn't easy, even though it was painful, even though it was difficult. You know why? Because I think that when Jesus began to think about all of the things that he valued most, he saw people. Among the things he valued most, he saw you and the person next to you. He saw planet Earth. He saw the people of the world. And he said, I've got to go. I've got to come for them. And so at Christmas time, we remember that, you know what? I bet Christmas was inconvenient for him. Sometimes God says to us, will you do something for me? Sometimes it's inconvenience, but if you do your part and I do my part, it works together in a plan that's better than we imagined. I wonder if Mary and Joseph even conceived of what was actually beginning to unfold. And even though their part, though we consider it to be a very big part in the plan, they simply played a part. They played their part. And as they played their part, it began to unfold something greater than we could ever imagine. Because of some people that said yes to Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.